my friends. <clears throat> so good to see you. Good to see a full house. Welcome to everybody online, Palm Bay, the land. We're happy to have everybody here. Uh, just a couple of announcements, and then we will dig right in. Uh, thank you so much. You're, you guys are so faithful week after week after week, and you're like, what's he going to do today? Um, we need about $5,000 more to pay for our forklift, okay? Um, we... We've already bought it. We already sent the money, and the, the forklift is being delivered actually, I think, tomorrow. Uh, so it will be in operation this week. Uh, if you haven't seen, it's such a disaster. Uh, whole whole cities wiped out. They're delivering food and diapers and medical supplies. Really, it, we're working in Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. The flooding has just been horrific up there, and it's... You know, it goes through the news cycle and then it's gone and people's homes are still destroyed. And so um, Anchor Ridge is all over the place up there. They got semis coming in and out and our forklift's going to help. So that's, uh, that's out in the lobby. The second thing, on your way out today, you're going to be handed a card. And this is a prayer card. We've been praying for the schools. We've been praying for your teachers. We've prayed for all of you that are teachers. And this is to expand the base a little bit. So this is about, get right side up, to pray for the counties around us. Orange, Indian River, St. John's, Sumter, Brevard. Uh, to lift up the counties, to pray for the schools, and wherever God leads you to do. Now this is kind of going along with what Jason talked about. On the back of it, it says, have, come have a cup of coffee on us. Uh, Corey Herbrook owns a non-for-profit coffee shop here in town on Nova called Beautiful Gate. And we are honored to partner with Corey. She said, I will give everybody who comes in to pray, just come in for a few minutes. You get a $5 cup of coffee and you buy your friend a cup of coffee. You're, but it's the coffee's free for you. And just to give you an idea, her coffee ministry gives $1,000 to $1,500 a week or a month to our mission program. And she's got it. This is just, just, just a local, local coffee shop. And as she gets blessed, she flips it. So when you go in, you'll see, hey, the mission this month is, and there'll be pictures and there'll be information there, you know, and you just buy your coffee and the proceeds, uh, after the bills are paid, proceeds come back to the missions ministry. So it's cool. But inside, it's all worship music. There's five or six rooms. So you bring friends. People have meetings there, Bible studies there. You might see me there. Uh, they have, uh, it's just, it's, it's an excellent place. And, and Corey said, let me, let me bless people with this. So your card is a prayer card and it's a free cup of coffee, both. All right. So that's what I got to share. Are we ready? <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> so a lot of times, the days days are long, days are crazy. Would you agree with that? So a lot of times I don't get to connect with my friends. They, we may send a text at 6 in the morning, and then you don't get to answer the text till 10 or 11 at night. And the other night I was laying in bed, and one of my buddies started texting me, and he goes, Joe, you got to have a lot of funny stories as a pastor. I'm like, oh, you have no idea, dude. I said, a lot of them come out of funerals, but, you know, I said, there's a lot of funny things. So I shared a couple of them, and then I got to thinking, you know what? Everybody's got good stories. So I started asking other people, you know, real estate people, uh, insurance people, uh, everybody. Every, all, your profession has got your own special jokes, just things that you've seen and experienced. Am I right? 
So <clears throat> I was talking to one of my doctor friends. He goes, oh, man, I got you. He said, he said, I was delivering a set of twins. And he said that we already, I mean, ultrasound. So he said, we knew it was a boy and a girl. And, uh, you know, we, can, we know that in today's world. It throws some people in Hollywood. But we know. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm not. I'm not. If you're watching online, I'm not sorry. So anyway, um, so anyway, the day comes, lady goes into labor late at night, and at 11.50, she gives birth. And it's beautiful little girl. And she's so excited, but then the labor pains start again, and she's like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And uh, the doctor said, when am I ever going to get this chance again? Melanie? In F, please. The sun will come out tomorrow. Gotta hold on till tomorrow. <clears throat> it's a hard knock life, you know what I mean? <clears throat> Thank you, Melanie. Melanie's like, you want to do what? <laughs> All right. Acts chapter 18. Paul now goes to Corinth. We've been traveling through the book of Acts. If you're new, uh, we started at the first verse and we're just working our way through. We're about halfway through the book. And in, <clears throat> we left off last week in 17. Paul was in Athens. And Paul's going to go about 40 miles to the west. Remember, he didn't have a lot of success in Athens. We talked about it was a university town, a bunch of intellectual eggheads, and uh, just few converts, but nothing major. Well, the opposite's going to happen when he goes to Corinth, which is interesting because Corinth is maybe the most corrupt city mentioned in the Bible. If you read First and Second Corinthians, which are very long books, they're letters that Paul will write back to this church that's being started here in chapter 18. But Corinth is the New York City of the day, okay? It is the Portland, it's the Seattle, it, it is corrupt. It is corrupt in every way, sexually, morally, um, worshiping all kinds of pagan idols. They worship, they worship everything, okay? Here's a, here's a picture of, this is the Temple of Apollo, which is, is still there today. That's what it looks like. One of the best preserved uh, temples in, in Greece. It's huge, massive. And uh, Apollo is the sun god. Uh, ironically, the same god that the Muslims worship. You can check that out. Um, but anyway, but that's just one. They got a whole pantheon of gods. Again, they're worshiping the thunder god, the, the water god. They're worshiping all these different gods. And Paul's going to go into this town. But the crazy thing is... He's going to have more converts out of Corinth, even though it's a corrupt, messed up place. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, the amazing thing is how many people, because it was so dark and so lost, how many people actually come to know Jesus through the preaching of Paul here. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, it's a bit of a long passage, but I'll read it quickly <coughs> for you. After this. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. 
There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently moved from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now why? Because Claudius, who's the emperor, is, nothing's new here, first century, and all the Jews have been run out of Rome. All right? The Jews get blamed for everything, and then, of course, the Christians later when uh, Rome gets burned down. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned with them in the synagogue, trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself. Now notice, there's a shift. Apparently, Paul's doing a whole bunch of things. But when Paul, when Silas and Timothy get there, Paul said, all right, nothing else. I am devoting myself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the long-expected one. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Why would he be afraid? Because they're not happy he's there. He's, his life is being threatened. God says, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they said, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. I like that word. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and they beat him in front of the court. But Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Okay, you can be seated. Let's start with a quote by Jerry Bridges. If you've never heard that name, uh, Jerry, Jerry is an incredible writer. Two books everybody ought to read. They're about 70 pages, all right? Easy to read. It is called The Practice of Godliness and the Presence of Holiness. And basically it teaches us how we're supposed to live. All right, And one of the problems these Corinthians are going to have, and why a lot of us have problems, is we come out of some pretty bad backgrounds. We've been involved with a lot of horrible things, and we need to know what the Word of God says. But here's what Jerry's quote is. He said, don't believe everything you think. Always check the Bible. And I thought about that quote and I thought, that's pretty good. Because my biggest enemy, while granted, the media, the world, the people around me, there's craziness everywhere. But the biggest problem I have is me. The one, the one that's trying to compromise more than anybody is me. So don't believe what you think, Joe. Go to the Word of God. All right? And that's what we teach here at this church all the time. 
We focus on the word of God. So we get into Corinth. Paul's going to stay here 18 months, and he's going to start by reasoning with people. Now, why does he stay 18 months? Well, most of the time he's in town for a few days, maybe a week, um, turns it over, lets somebody else take over. But he realizes two things. Number one, a lot of people are coming to Jesus. Remember, that didn't happen in Athens, just a few people. But a whole lot of people are coming to Jesus. He's building the church right here in front of him. And so he stays, but because of their culture, he knows he's got to do a lot of deprogramming. So he's got to go to a guy's house. He's like, man, I'm glad you accepted Christ and were baptized, but you can't have four wives and three mistresses and a goat. I'm just being real with you. Okay. All right. And so he's got to deprogram all these situations before he can program them into the ways of God. But what I love is that even though, uh, it is such a perverted place. When you start First Corinthians, he starts off talking about the people of God, the people loved, beloved of Jesus Christ. You read First Corinthians and you're like, man, these are horrible human beings. But they were saved human beings. And Paul is working to get them on track. Isn't that the story of all of us? I mean, that's what it's about. So Paul reasons with them. That word reason means to dialogue. Now, this is interesting because he's going to go from dialoguing to preaching. That's that transition that happens when he devotes himself. But the first one is to reason with people, to sit down and just talk to people. And this is why we're pushing this idea of, of just sitting down and having a cup of coffee with people. My wife will tell you, I can go into a restaurant or a store and I'll, I'll go over and say something to somebody and I'll come back a couple minutes later and I'll say, well, that girl's from Louisiana, uh, went through a tough divorce, got three kids, she took this job, she lives with her mom right now, here's what's going on. She goes, how do you know that? I said, I just asked her how her day was going. People are so lonely and people are so broken. And you know what? You just ask. You just ask for permission. It's amazing. Hey, would you like to know how to go to heaven? If they say no, forgive me for this, well, you let them go to hell. Paul does. Paul does. He said, look, you guys want to go to hell? Shook the dust off his robes. He said, now I'm going on to the Gentiles. He was making a statement. <clears throat> but it's amazing if you will just have the courage to say, would you have a cup of coffee with me? Who's not? Your cup... Yeah, your cup's already free, so you just got to pay for theirs. So it's very simple. Um, <clears throat> but just sit down and just talk to people. And it's amazing how many people want hope. See, at the core of it, I don't think many people want to go to hell. Now, I've met some. I'm going to hell and I'm proud of it. You know what? You can't do anything with that guy. Okay, good luck. Holy Spirit can work on you, but there's not a whole lot I can do. But most people think they're going to heaven and don't have a clue. Why are you going to heaven? I'm a good guy. Look, I've known you a long time. You're not a good guy. But if you'd like to know, I can tell you about Jesus who can clean you up spiritually. And we'll work on the outside stuff as we go. So Paul is reasoning with them. Now we know from the past stories, Paul's taking them back through scripture because he's with Jews right now. He's in a synagogue. 
So he's talking to them about being a baby being born in Bethlehem, uh, Jesus being born of a virgin, uh, the, the resurrection story, crucifixion story in Isaiah 52 and 53. He's taking the Jewish people back to their roots and then showing them how Jesus truly fulfilled all of that, that he was the living son of God, he was crucified for our sins, he died, and he rose again. He's laying out that whole story as he's reasoning with the people. Now... I'll be honest with you, this is a strange culture to try to reason with people because nothing is real. Let me just give you an example. How many of you grew up playing cowboys and Indians? You horrible human beings, you. You can't play cowboys and Indians. That is cultural appropriation. Well, listen, I am about 10% Cherokee, so get off me, all right? But... Now, don't you think about this. So you're not allowed to play cowboys and Indians. But a grown man can pretend he's a woman and you got to play that game. Did I make a point? Isn't that weird? And if a woman wants to pretend she's a cat, I mean, you name it. I mean, you laugh, but look it up. There is so much insanity going on. How do I reason with people like this. Well, you just have to sit down and look people in the eye. And there's not a lot of reasoning can get done in a large crowd. And there's never any reasoning gets done shouting and yelling at each other. But it's amazing what happens over a cup of coffee. Here's how God said it to Isaiah's generation. He said, though your sins be as scarlet, God will make them as white as snow. Now, I don't have time to unpack this whole story, but I'll do it real fast. If you go back to Leviticus, I think it's chapter 11, it talks about the scapegoat. So every year, high priest would put his hands on one goat and confess all the sins of the people, put a red scarlet cord around the goat's neck, and send that goat out in the wilderness. Miraculously, you feel free to look me up, miraculously, right? they put another red cord around the temple door. And when the goat was shoved off a cliff out in the wilderness, the cord around the goat's neck turned white. There's no explanation for this except God. But at the same moment that that cord turned white, the cord on the temple door turned white. Every year. So the people would stand by the temple and wait for the cord to turn white and they would cheer. Why? Because their sins had been forgiven for another year. If the cord didn't turn white, they're still guilty. That's what Isaiah is referencing. Even though their sins are scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. But what does he say? Come, let us reason together. What a powerful verse. What a powerful verse. Here, let's do some quick reasoning. I've got to move on. I want to show you this. You've probably never seen a picture of a baby octopus in the, in the womb. This is the craziest picture. You look it up on your phone. It's pretty amazing. But if you look inside the, the egg, tell me what the baby octopus looks like. If you said an octopus, you're correct. That's just for my people that wonder if a baby's a baby. All right. Okay, secondly, devote yourself. Timothy and Silas come. 
Paul says, okay, no more of this. Again, I don't know if he's feeding people, he's dialoguing in the synagogues, but he said, enough of this conversation, now I'm going to preach. And he begins to publicly and privately just bring the word about Jesus. He said, I've just got to, I've got to compel these people to get saved. The word devote is used throughout the, throughout the New Testament. And it always means to be stuck to something. It's like super glue. It means, it means that I am so committed to this that nothing's going to separate me from my commitment. My commitment to Jesus, my commitment to the mission that God has given me, my commitment to obey, whether it's to, to, to stick to my marriage. It is, that's what that word devote means. He said, I am going to focus solely on sharing the love of Jesus. Now, let me show you some other stuff that has to do um, with Corinth, okay? So it says, as I read it, it said, Paul was brought to court. So the Jews <clears throat> drum up this charge against him, and it says he's brought to court before this guy named Galileo, right? You saw that? Okay. Well, he didn't really go to court. It's a terrible translation. Uh, that's where he went, right? And I've stood here, and this is where the judge would stand, and this is where you stand, all right? And you don't get to change places. So the accused would stand right here. So Paul literally stood right here and faced the charges. Now, this is a big deal, that, number one, that the Bema seat is still here. That's 2,000 years old or more. But throughout the rest of the New Testament, the word Bema is used about the judgment at the end of time. It says that you and I will stand at the Bema of God. Anytime you see the word judgment, it's the word Bema. So one day, you and I will stand here, and where's God standing? He's up here, and you don't get to trade places with him. And so this is where Paul goes, and his life's being threatened every day. So God comes to him in this vision and says, Paul, I got people everywhere. We got you here, and I need you to stay here. So instead of a few weeks, Paul stays 18 months. He must have driven the Jewish people crazy, the Corinthian people crazy. But look at the result. The synagogue leader, his whole family accepted Christ. They were all baptized. He's, got, he's clicking these people off because... Because people matter to God and Paul wants their souls to be saved. That's why our vision is that we exist to make it hard for people to go to hell. Now, this is a quote from one of our missionaries in Nigeria. Oh, let's do this one first. Um, this is just great. Okay, I just throw this in as a bonus. <clears throat> so when, when Paul is in Corinth, he writes the letter to the Romans that you have in your Bible. And at the end of the book of Romans, in chapter 16, he talks about a guy who works for the government. Now think about this for a minute. How many people do you think work for the Roman government? Let's think about our government for a minute. All right? There's got to be millions of people working for the government, right? Paul says, my brother Erastus, who works at the city works, he sends you his greetings. So Erastus has become a Christian. And Paul sends that note to Rome because some of them would have known him. 2,000 years later, we find this stone. You can even read it in English. It's in Greek. Erastus, the worker, uh, the, the keeper of public works. So of all the people, 
All the people that served in the Roman Empire, street sweeper, keeper, whatever, and God preserved that rock so 2,000 years later we could go find it. That's why Paul's so devoted. He knows the word of God is true. <clears throat> if, you, if you don't know this story, I'm going to tell it to you. In 1876, there were two men riding on a train. One guy, had was his, this was his life, just like we have guys today. He traveled America on a train doing speeches to condemn Christianity, to mock Jesus and to try to destroy the church. All right, 1876. There happened to be that day with him on the train, a general from the Union Army. And he said, you know what? I think you're right. He said, in the next 10 years, this whole Jesus thing is going to be gone. All these little white churches that we see as we're going down the rail, he said, all of those are going to be gone because people are going to realize what a farce this whole Jesus thing is. And the atheist said to the general, he said, well, you've got a lot more education than I have. Why don't you write a book and put it into this Jesus once and for all? He goes, you know what? I like it. And so he said, I never read the Bible. So he said, I thought I would start there. So he read the Bible and then he took a trip to the Holy Land, which would not have been super easy in the in, in 1870s. And while he was in Jerusalem finding the, the, all, of the, all of the things that he'd read about, he becomes a Christian. He comes back and he writes a book that you may know. It's called Ben-Hur. The, general, the general's name was Lou Wallace. And this book was really uh, one of the strongest apologetic defenses of the Bible. It's a fictional book, but it was used really through the first half of the 20th century. And it's still referred to because Lou Wallace's research is absolutely phenomenal. And if you saw the movie, if you'd rather watch the movie, Charlton Heston stars in that movie. Um, it's just, it's crazy. But again, anytime God's word gets a fair chance, it's going to win. So, listen, if you haven't accepted Jesus, we want you to do that. We don't want you to leave here. I went home last night, and um, I found out backstage that two people gave their lives to Jesus. I was, I was, I was at home eating. Um, some pastor you have, right? I was home eating chicken, and uh, two people got saved. Um, so that's what we want today. If you don't know Jesus, if you're online, hit that button. I've decided Pastor John's there. If you're in Palm Bay, the land, your pastors are there. They'll help you here. Come up front. That's what they did last night. They came up and said, look, we don't even know a whole lot about it. We've been coming. We love this Jesus. We just don't understand. And before the night was over, they led her to Christ and they baptized her. First um, Kings 8, 6, 61. Uh, but your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord your God. To live his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Colossians says it this way. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Watchful for what? Watchful for sin that may attack you. And also watchful for Jesus' return. And be thankful. But the key phrase is that word devote. At some point you and I have got to lock in on our relationship with God, our commitment to be in a small group, our commitment to have coffee with people and care about lost people. Paul said, from now on, I devote myself, and here we go. And then we get to the end of the passage. And he says, I'm going to go person to person. I'll explain in a minute. Here's a quote 
from one of our missionaries in Nigeria. By the way, Nigeria is getting wiped out. The Muslims in the north, north part of Nigeria are killing Christians by the hundreds, the thousands, and yet the church in Nigeria. We have, there's two churches in the capital of Nigeria that run over 25,000. A lot of Christians there, but they're being badly persecuted. And this is one of our missionaries. They said, we've made up our minds that it's better to die in battle for God than to die as a coward. Wow. And again, their lives are being threatened. Their children are being kidnapped. And we think it's tough to have a cup of coffee and sit down and just try to talk to people. Maybe we need to pray that we don't be cowards like that. So Paul knows, this is unusual, but Paul knows he's got to go. He's got to go door to door. Why? Because it's so corrupt. I mean, you can only solve so much. You're like, okay, a whole bunch of what was brought up today, I've got some of that. I'm guilty of some of this. But it's hard to sort out problems unless you can sit down with people. So Paul had to go home to home. Because, again, you have no idea what's going on in their homes, all right? Here's what Paul writes. This is one of the things he writes to the Corinthians. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Check this out. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Now, it's, I get it, you immediately focused on two words there. I know it. The homosexual? Yep, pretty clear. But did you see everything else on the list? Adulterers? Greed? Lust? Everybody's guilty. Yes? There's not a person going to come out of those two verses. You got no chance at heaven without Jesus. And the whole point of Paul writing this is, this is who you guys are. This is not who Christians are. So there's got to be a change made. You, yes, you, I mean, who's he writing to now? He's writing to people that have accepted Christ and been baptized. And what's going on? Everything. So Paul writes a letter and says, hey, you can't do this. you got to stop this because you won't get into the kingdom of heaven no matter how many times you go under the water, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven if this is how you live. So knowing that we're all guilty, again, we don't back away. This is what the word of God says. All right? Here's what Paul says in Romans. He brings it up again. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. Now, is that hard to understand? I spent a week, two weeks ago, I spent a week listening to nothing but sermons of left-wing preachers trying to explain to me how the last two verses I read to you don't mean what they say. It's not hard to find those guys. It's about 50% of the churches in America. And I'm just going, oh, well, you just don't understand the culture and it's different. And I'm like, no, no, sin's still sin. And sin's got to be repented of. You know, I can't shellack that over for you, for any of us, all right? But I just want you to know, this is what Paul's dealing with, and this is why he has to go house to house. Because there's so much to unpack in each house, you can't do that publicly. Dude, look, I know how you're living. This is your problem, this is your problem, this is your problem, and you, you've got to work on these things. And that's why Paul stays for 18 months. 
But here's what I want to tell you. This is true in my life, and I know it's true in your life. When somebody brings a torch into your life of darkness, you will never forget that person. Every one of us knows who carried the torch into our lives and told us about Jesus. Now it's our turn to carry the torch. And I want you to know, when we get before God, when we get to that bema, politicians will have no power. The wealthy will have no money. We all go to the throne of God with simply what we've done with our lives. Let me finish with this. And this is uh, the finish of the sermon and to lead us into communion. But a friend of mine named Charlie Crow wrote this, and it's brilliant. He, he said years ago, he was in Atlanta helping to start a new church. And they bought a strip club. And the strip club obviously didn't really clean up well uh, when they walked out. So there was you know dirt and cans and bottles and trash all over the place. And so they're in cleaning up this old strip club to make it into a place of worship. And he said, I found this old cup. And he said, I was going to throw it out, but he said, no, this cup has a plan. So he took the cup home, and it's funny how he writes it. He said, I boiled it, and then I bleached it, and then I put it in the dishwasher, and then I boiled it again. And he said, since that time, this is the cup that I take communion in. And he said, because it reminds me that I once was a dark, dirty, broken soul. But when Jesus cleaned me up, I now become a place of beauty and forgiveness that only Jesus could do. And that's what communion's about. So I'll pray and we'll partake. Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have. And I pray that we will become devoted, that we will become passionate, that we will be willing to be person to person and love people. So many people looking for hope, God, and we've got that answer. So as we take the bread, we remember your body. We take the cup, we remember your blood. And we remember that we were unworthy, dirty vessels that through the blood that was shed on that cross has cleaned us up. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name.